Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40 is where we're at today. And if you'd like to stand, I'm going to read that text and then we'll pray and we'll get going here. When the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Father in heaven, we ask you, God, to stir up our hearts with love for you. Father, forgive us when we we don't love you with all of our heart and soul and mind. Father, forgive us for the, the days that we have been indifferent to you. Father, I just pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would open up hearts and minds today to embrace the height and depth and length and breadth of your love. God, enable us to know that. Father, please be with us this morning and teach us in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. So in this section of Scripture, you may remember from last week, week before, the Pharisees and religious leaders and Sadducees, they're testing Jesus. So uh, if you go back a chapter, you'll notice they, they ask him a question about taxes, you know, should we pay taxes? They're, what they're trying to do is trying to get him in trouble. They're trying to trip him up in some way, uh, get him in trouble with Rome. Rome was an occupying nation at this time. Um, the passage right before this, they ask him a question about the resurrection, which was a disputable thing among the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And so, so the Bible says that this guy asked him this to test him. Now, I actually have no idea what their angle was on this one. Like, I, I don't know if they were hoping he would get it wrong or if they were hoping that he would say a different commandment. I, 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 I don't know what their angle was. All I know is I'm really glad they asked Jesus this question, all right? I'm really glad they asked Jesus this question because I think this is super helpful, okay? It's super helpful for Jesus basically to say, hey, guys, this is the deal right here. Like, like this is the main thing. Like, this, this is the culmination of everything that God is requiring of you. Like, this is the command. This is the primary command. Now, now when I say helpful, I, I, I don't mean like, like helpful, like, hey, that's a nice tip. Like, you know, you should take your garden hose off uh, your faucet when it's going to freeze at night, you know? Or uh, you should keep air in your spare tire. Or if you go to Barachalam, India, don't eat the white stuff. Like, all that is, like, helpful tips. I don't, I don't mean that. What I mean is, like, this is life or death, okay? Like, this is the ultimate question for your life, okay? So when you look at, is my soul okay, when, when you're considering, am I right with God? Am I okay with God? Man, you should not ask things like, well, have I gone to church? Or have I, uh, have I memorized the scripture? Or have I, you know, you shouldn't ask that, okay? The question that should be on your mind is, do you love God, okay? Do you love God with your heart, soul, and mind? 
And a lot of people, when they, when they think about their soul, the condition of their soul, in Oklahoma, you know what I bet the number one um, criteria would be when people think about, okay, am I okay in my heart? Am I okay with God? I think they would think about, do I believe there is a God? That, that's what I ran into over and over again. You know, people will be like, well, I'm okay because I believe in God. I have an intellectual belief in God. Well, you remember what James said. James said the demons believe that. The demons intellectually believe God. But there is not a demon in hell who loves God, right? Do you see the difference there, okay? And what Jesus says is the culmination of all the scriptures, in other words, all the commandments, all, all that God desires and requires of us in the entire Bible can be summed up in, you should love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So man, I, I, think, I think that's really helpful in just what is this all about, and, and, and you, know, you know what also stirs me up, makes me think, okay, if that's the greatest command, all right? Jesus says it is, not if. He says it is. That is the greatest command. Then what's the greatest offense? You know, if you ask people, hey, what's the worst sin you could commit? You know, what's the worst thing you could do? I think a lot of people say, well, I murder, you know, or, uh, you know, adultery or, you know, what, what they, they would probably name something like that. I think when a lot of people think, well, I'm not very bad, you know, like everybody always wants to comfort ourselves, right? Like, I'm not very bad because I haven't killed anybody or I haven't committed adultery or I haven't embezzled money from my company or I haven't done this, haven't done this. You know, you know what Jesus clearly says here? The greatest offense is for you not to love God. Like if, if that's the greatest commandment, then the worst thing is for you to be indifferent to God. The worst thing is for you to be bored with God. The worst thing for, for, you, for you would be that you, you, don't, you don't care about God. Right? And so, so love for God is the main thing. Now, we're going to see how love for God flows into obedience to commands. We're going to see that really clearly here in just a second, okay? All right? But, but the question that ought to be on our mind right now is, what does that mean to love God? Now, now that's, that's a tough question in America because... Love in America is used for all kinds of things, right? Like it actually wasn't in Greek. There were different words that would describe different kinds of loves. In America, we got one word that we lump everything in, right? So the way that you talk about your infant is the same way you talk about ice cream and tacos and uh, snow skiing and baseball and what, whatever else it is that you like, okay? And, and so that, that makes, makes it a little hard. It, biblically, though, I, 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 I think... I think when we talk about love for God, I think what a lot of people would say is, because there are verses that say this, and we're going to get to those in a minute, they would say, well, love for God is obeying His commands. Love for God is loving others, okay? And, and absolutely that is true, okay? It is true from the sense that when you love God, it flows into obeying His commands. It flows into loving others. But actually, I don't think that's the root, okay? I don't, I don't think that's what technically at the heart of it, it means to love God. Let, let, let me show you why I think that. I'll, I'll, let me turn back to a, a passage we've already gone through. You may remember this passage. It was in Matthew 10, 37. It's kind of a shake you up passage. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So in that passage, Jesus says, you got to love me more than you love your kid. Okay? Now, now that's where all right, so if I define loving God as being obedient to his commands, is that the way I love my kid? Boy, what kind of world would it be if I did everything that my four-year-old says, right? Like, I love you, so I'm going to do whatever you say. I mean, that's a disaster, is it not? 
So obviously it's not, it's not obedient, okay? So what, what, what is the heart of that? So when, when you think about how do you love your children, okay? What, what does that mean? Well, here, here's, here's, here's what, what comes to my mind. I value them, right? Like I highly value them. That's why when they get out in the street and they're playing and a car's coming, that's why you get all upset, right? You highly value them, okay? If my dog Snickers gets out in the street and there's a car coming, I'm like, okay? It's, it's true, Marilyn, all right? But if my kid's out there, man, I, I'm, I'm upset. Why? Because I highly value, okay? When, when you think about why do you love your, your son, your daughter, your grandchild, you know, why, why do you love them? It's, it's because... You cherish them, right? You treasure them. You enjoy them. You delight in them, okay? And so when Jesus says, you got to love me more than you love son or daughter, okay? We know how we love son or daughter, and Jesus is saying, you should love me more than that, right? More than that. Now, I, I know your question, well, does that mesh with the Scriptures, do, do we see in the scriptures that when people love God, they delight in him, they enjoy him, they rejoice in him, they value him, they absolutely, okay? Now, let, let, me, let me show you. In, in the book of Psalms, and by the way, all I did this morning, I just opened up my Bible to Psalms, and I started flipping through and just passages I underlined, all right? This was no exhaustive study. This is just a five-minute search through the Psalms, and here's what I found. Now, these are believers who are expressing how they feel about God, okay? So listen to these. I picked out some, some good ones for you. Psalm 34, 27. Let those who delight, who delight in my righteousness, shout for joy and be glad, all right? Do you see that? How, how do these believers feel about God? They delight in his righteousness. They shout for joy and are glad, and they say evermore, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Look at Psalm 40. Okay, let's move to Psalm 40. Psalm 40, verse 16. But all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. Let's move to Psalm 43, verse 4. Then I will go to the altar of my God, to God my exceeding joy. How does he describe God? He says, You, got, you, know, what, you know what his name for God is? My exceeding joy. Who do you give pet names to like that? Someone you love. God, who are you to me? You're my exceeding joy. Um, go to Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 3. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall, I love this last phrase. They shall be jubilant with joy. Isn't that a great little phrase there? Jubilant with joy. How, how do they feel about God? They're jubilant with joy. How about Psalm 70? Psalm 70, verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. How about our memory verse for a couple weeks ago? Psalm 90, 14. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. What do we see in the Psalms? We see the same thing there, right? We see that when they love God, they, they value God, they cherish God, they treasure God, they rejoice in God, they delight in God. I don't know if you're familiar with the Westminster Catechism, maybe one of the greatest doctrinal statements ever produced. And I can't, I can remember the day that I first read it and how surprised I was. But, but it was a good surprise. It was like, oh, wow, that's good. The first question is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why am I here? What is my purpose? 
What, what, what do I need? What, is, what, is, what am I all about? And the answer to that is, what's the chief end of man? The answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I remember reading that part and I thought, oh, that's my purpose? My purpose is to enjoy God forever, to delight in God, to treasure him, to value him. Yes, that is your purpose, okay? Now, a lot of people are gonna say, but yeah, but there's a whole bunch of verses in the Bible that talk about love for God as being commandment keeping. Absolutely, but commandment keeping flows out of that. Let me show you a great verse that combines the two, okay? 1 John 5, 3, okay? 1 John 5, 3, this is a great verse that combines the two. It says this, But this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and all. Look at this. And his commandments are not burdensome. You see that? It's not this mechanical commandment keeping. It's not this, oh, I've got to. It's not this, oh, well, you know, I really want to do this other thing. No, it's, it's this, I delight in God. And because I delight in him, I want to do what he says. I want to follow his will. I, 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 want, I want to know what he wants. I want to do what he says. There's this great church in the book of Revelation. Uh, It's the church of Ephesus. And Jesus writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. And here's what he says to them. He says to them in verse 2, he says, I know your works. This is Revelation 2.2. I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance. I know how you cannot bear with those who are evil and have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them false. Man, this is a great church, is it not? They've got works. They've got toil. They're they're, they're combating false teaching. In verse 3, he says, I know how you are enduringly, patiently bearing up for my name's sake and you've not grown weary. Awesome church, but look at verse four. But I have this against you. You've abandoned the love you had at first, okay? They're going through all the right mechanical motions, but they're missing it. How are they missing it? They're not delighting in God. They used to, but they've, they've, grown, they've grown cold in their, in their love for God. And so clearly, I think we see in the scriptures that when it says you need to love God with your heart, soul, and mind, what that means is you should delight in him. You should have joy in him. You should value him. You should treasure him. Now, your question ought to be this morning, how? How do I get there? How do I get to where my heart feels that way? It rejoices. It delights in God. How do I get there? And then that's the question we want to know. And here's the answer to that question. You get there. You come to love God. Listen, by experiencing the love of God in the gospel. All right? This is very important. You come to love God by experiencing the love of God in the gospel. Let me, let me show you some examples of that, okay? First John chapter 4. First John 4 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Okay, so love originates from God. God is the definition of love. His actions define what love is, okay? And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. All right, now, John's giving us a clue there. Who's the guy that loves? The guy that knows God, okay? The, the guy that has experienced the love of God, okay? So he tells us, love is from God. You know, God is the one who loves. And the, the, the person that loves is the person that knows God. He's the person that, that's been loved by God. If we keep reading there, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfect in us. Go down to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. You see that? We love because he first loved us. 
All right, and, and so here, here's, here's the basic, don't miss this, don't miss this, okay? How do you come to delight in God? How do you come to rejoice in Him? How do you come, how do you get to the point where your heart just leaps for joy over who He is? You, you've got to experience and receive and believe His love to you in the gospel, okay? Now, I don't want anybody to be confused by that. Like, I thought about just leaving it there. I'm like, no, 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 let's unpack that, okay? Let's just walk through exactly what do we mean by experiencing the love of God in Christ in the gospel, okay? So here's what it means. What it means is you, you come to understand you're the worst kind of broken. All right, you hear that? You come to understand you're the worst kind of broken. You come to understand that you're a spiritual criminal. You're a lawbreaker. You're a kingdom felon, okay? You are eat up with the cancer of sin. You are spiritually terminal. You are awaiting the wrath of God upon your life forever. That, anybody that comes to the gospel has to come and realize that. Man, I'm broken. Like, I'm a sinner. I'm busted. I'm a criminal. I'm a transgressor. All right, you come to understand the brokenness of your life, and then, and then here it comes. Then you come to understand God has loved you in that brokenness. He has sent Jesus to be your rescuer. He has sent Jesus to live the perfect life that you couldn't live, to live a righteous life on your behalf, and then to die the most brutal of deaths, to be tortured on your behalf, and to bear the weight of all of your filth, all your sin, all your guilt. Jesus would bear that. He would die for you, and then he would rise from the dead, victorious over sin, and then, remember last week, he would invite you to come. Right? He would invite you to come to himself, to come to the feast, to come and repent of your sins and put your faith in him and to be joined, to come like a dependent child. That's what Jesus said. You come humble, nothing to offer. You come and believe. You come and take up your cross and you come and follow him and you can be joined to his resurrection life, joined so that his righteousness comes into your account. You can be forgiven of your sin. Here, here's what you get when you come to Jesus. Here's what you get when you're loved by God. You're forgiven of your sin. You're adopted into his family. Pastor Daniel's preaching right now in Visai, and the entire sermon is about being adopted. What that means, to be adopted into the family of God, to be justified before God, to be promised eternal life, to have the spirit of God inside of you. You are loved, okay? Everybody got that? You're loved in the gospel, all right? So if you're a believer here today, that's what happened to you. You saw your your monumental brokenness and you came to Christ and you heard the gospel and you believed and all of that happened to you, okay? All of that happened to you. And when all of that happened to you, something changed inside of you. You know what? Moses talked about this thousands of years before Jesus. I love this. Thousands of years before Jesus. In Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may live. You see, Moses, this is what's going to happen. God's going to change your heart. He's going to change you on the inside so that you come to love God. Romans 5, 5 says, God has poured out his love. He's poured it out into us, okay? Your eyes are open to know the love of God, All right, that, That's conversion, okay? So, so here we go. That's conversion. So, so you, 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 saw, you, saw the, you saw your brokenness. You saw what Christ had done. You put your faith in him. Bam. All of that is yours now. Okay, now, now you're a believer. Now, now you're saved. Now, 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 now you've experienced the love of God. But you're just, you're just day one. 
you're just the first 30 meters, okay? And now the rest of your Christian life, now increasingly, now continually, you see these words? Now progressively, you're doing what? You're coming to understand more and more of God's goodness, more and more of God's riches, more and more of God's plan, more and more of God's wisdom, more and more of God's power. You're coming to understand more and more of God's love. You're coming to understand more and more of the love of God for you. Here's the way Paul prays in Ephesians 3. In verse, chapter 3, verse 16. He, he, let's start with 17. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, okay, may have strength. Paul says, man, I'm praying for you to have strength. Strength to do what? To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height, what is the depth, to know the love of Christ. You see that? He said, you're already believers. You've already, you've already got the riches of God dumped on you. You're already forgiven and adopted and justified. and You've got the Holy Spirit. And now I'm praying that your hearts and minds would be expanded to know the love of Christ to know the depth of it, to know the width of it, to know the height of it. And by the way, it never ends. Notice what he says. That surpasses knowledge. You can't ever get to the end of it. You're a little boy with a bucket on the Pacific Ocean and you're scooping out of the ocean and running to your tank and you're pouring it in and you do that as fast as you can all day long. You don't make a dent in the ocean of God's love. Okay, like That's, that's how vast it is. Guys, and the more you come to know of the love of God, see, the more Paul's prayer is answered, and the more you come to know of his love, the breadth and the depth and the height and the length, what happens? The more you love him. How can that not be true? How can you come to know each day more of God's incredible love for you? How can you come to bask more and more in, in all that God has done for you? How can that not result in you loving him more. Hey, this is why you need his word. This is why you need to meditate on his word. This is why you, you, this is why you need to memorize. This is why you need to soak your mind in the book of Proverbs and just marvel at his wisdom. This is why you need to read your Old Testament and see how over and over and over again, God relentlessly, patiently rescues his People who are blowing it time and time again. This is why you need to read the miracles of Jesus and marvel. That's why you need to read over and over again how he's standing at the tomb of Lazarus, dead four days, and he just says, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes out alive. You need to know that. And then he says, guys, you see what I just did? I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. You, you need to know that. You, your mind needs to be expanded in how much God loves you. Because the more you know, the more you experience of God's love, what happens? The more you love him. That's the way it works. That's what John said. We love because he first loved us. As he loves us, I come to love him more. You remember that. We won't look at it, but in Luke 7, there's a, a pair, there's a story about Jesus, and, and he goes in this guy named Simon's house, and this guy named Simon's a religious leader. He's just trying to trick Jesus, throttle him with questions, try to trip him up. And in the midst of that, there's a woman that comes in. She's the town, you know what? But she is broken. She's repentant. She falls down at Jesus' feet, weeping. 
And the Bible says that her tears flowed so heavily that they wet Jesus' dirty feet. And she wiped them with her hair. And then Simon's like, well, hey, this guy must not be a prophet. Or he know what kind of woman this is. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story. <laughs> Don't you love Jesus? Let me tell you a story. See, there's two guys. They both owe some money to this other guy. One of them owes five bucks, one of them owes a million. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. The guy forgives both of them. Who's going to love him more? And they're like, well, obviously the guy that owed him a million. He's like, yep. He's like, from the time I came into your house, Simon, you've given me no water to wash my feet. You've not taken care of me. You've given me no kindness whatsoever. This woman, from the moment she stepped in here, has done nothing but weep at my feet. Then he says, whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. Whoever's been forgiven much, loves much. Now, was his point that Simon was an awesome guy, didn't have any sins? No. I kind of think Simon was heading to hell, actually. His, his point was, Simon, he didn't know the love of God. He didn't know the forgiveness of God. He thought he's fine. He thought he's awesome. This woman, she knew the love of God. So how'd she respond? She responded in delight and, and joy and brokenness and valuing Jesus. Okay? So, the love of God, right? What's the great commandment? Love God with your heart, soul, and mind. Okay, now let's go back to our text. Okay, so let's keep going here. Making slow progress, but we're making progress. Verse 37, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says this. This is the first and great commandment. Now, do you notice how we are to love God? All of our heart, soul, and mind. All. Do you see that? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. You're to love him. You're to be all in. All right? I mean, it's really clear what he's saying here. You're, you're to love me with everything. You're to love me with all you got. You're to be all in on this deal. I, I really wish, uh, probably not many of you saw, maybe, maybe some of you know the, uh, my secretary's family, Melody Trent. She's got several kids, a bunch of kids, actually. But one of them, uh, they used to come here uh, when they lived here, but there's a little girl named Morning. And Morning was in a talent show. You see that? There's a few that saw it. If there's a definition of all in, it was morning in that talent show. I mean, she's all, she's, uh, she's in, okay? All right? Jesus is saying, that's the way you ought to love me, okay? Because here's the deal. There is no place for half-heartedness in Christianity, okay? There is no place for lukewarm devotion to Christ. There is no place for a feeble, tepid, weak effort towards spiritual things. Why is there no place for that? Why? Because of the way that God has loved us. Do you see that? I mean, he has loved us with this magnificent love. How ought we to respond in, in some kind of lukewarm manner? That's wrong. I mean, you should consider you were running straight off the cliff to hell and Jesus burst into this world and with complete disregard to himself, dived into death and flung you out of hell and into life, and are you going to give him a half-hearted, eh? That's, that's wrong. 
You see, Jesus, that's what he condemned the church at Laodicea for. Your lukewarm affection. After how he has loved us, is it appropriate for us to sing to him with all the enthusiasm and delight of a 10-year-old getting a tetanus shot? I think not. But if you'll ask this lady right here, there's a lot of that that goes on in the American church. And you gotta wonder, do you know the love of God? Do you, do you understand what God has done? You see, there's an appropriate response. It, it is wrong to respond to God's incredible love to us with this half-hearted lukewarmness. Let me give you an example, okay? Now, back, back in my day, proposals were not very fancy, okay? Um, I just proposed to Emma in the parking lot of Tabor College. Hey, you want to marry me? Yep, yeah, we, we celebrated there together uh, in the car at night. Anyway, today, though, it's, it's a big deal. It's a bigger deal, okay? And so, and there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Marriage is a big deal, but I'm just saying, follow me on this illustration, Okay? So let's say, let's say this guy is proposing to his sweetheart that he loves, girl of his dreams. I mean, he loves her with his whole heart. You know, he's all in on this girl, okay? And, and, and so he's, he, he hires a skywriter to write her name in the sky, you know, in the plane, you know, writes her name, you know, my sweetheart with a heart, you know? And then, and then just then he's in this beautiful venue and he drops down on one knee and right as he does, the string quartet pops up, you know, right out of the bushes, you know, and they start playing this love song, you know, and they're all there. And, and then all of a sudden these three hot air balloons converge, you know, hover right down above him and all of her family and friends are there cheering and throwing confetti and he's down on one knee and, and, and all of a sudden he, he begins to, to tell her of his love and he's going to sing it, you know, he's going to sing it and, and the dancers come up from behind and they're dancing and, and he finally gets done and, and he comes to the pinnacle he pulls out this ring and it's got a ping pong sized diamond on it and he's like you know I love you more than breath and earth and sky will you marry me and she says I guess I mean if you think we ought to I, I don't know is it that big a deal Red flag, okay? Like if I, if I were talking to that guy, what would you, would you say? Hey, red flag here, buddy. I'm not sure that she's getting it. I'm not sure that she feels the love you're trying to portray here. I don't wonder if that's the way that Jesus sees his bride. To love God half-heartedly is an offensive response to the love that God has poured out. What's the greatest command? You should love the Lord your God with all your heart. Man, there should be some effort. There should be some energy. There should be some exulting, some rejoicing. As you believe and receive what God has done for you, there should be, there should be some joy there. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all that's in you. Creatively love God with all your mind. Get your intellect around all that he has done and rejoice in it. You should find creative ways to love and treasure and value God with your money and time and words and property and skills and abilities and gifts and everything you've got. 
Now, if you love him, yes, you will obey him. I mean, I'm not arguing with that, okay? John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Verse 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. So yes, you absolutely will obey God's commands, and they won't be burdensome, but you will do it because you love him. You'll do it because you delight in him. You'll do it because you see his glory and you see the way he's loved you. And it'll be the response of your heart to say, I want to obey you. And I want to obey you particularly, Jesus says, in this second great command, to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you got to get these in line, okay? If you go out and try to love your neighbor without the love of God, you ain't going to do it. You know why? Because you'll get your plate of cookies ready and you'll go over to your neighbor's house to present them and you'll leave there and you'll say, that guy's a jerk. I don't like him. Man, he said he didn't want my cookies. He's on some kind of dumb diet, you know? He didn't want them. I, I was trying to be nice. He acted like I was a bird and he acted like I was a salesman. I ain't got nothing to do with him. Okay, here's, here's the problem there. There's a lot of people that aren't very delightful. Right? And, and if your idea of loving people is you're going to love the ones you delight in, your, your pool is going to get real small. But if, if you can do this, if you can open up your life and receive the love of God filling you up, falling on you like you're sitting below Niagara Falls, just this stream of the love of God, then you're able to turn and you're able to meet the practical needs of your neighbor. Not because they deserve it, not because they're delightful, but because God has loved you and you delight in him. And he doesn't have any needs. Have you, have you ever noticed that? You don't ever need to mow God's lawn. You just don't need to do it. You don't ever need to bake him cookies. You don't ever need to feed him. He's never homeless. But you know what he said in Matthew 25? We're going to get to it here in a couple weeks. He said, when you do that to the least of these, my brothers, you're, you're, you're doing that to me. You're meeting my needs. Okay, but you see, it's connected to him, right? Love of God. He's loved me. I delight in him. I turn and meet the needs of others. And it's not a burden. It's not a burden. That doesn't mean it's not hard. That doesn't mean it doesn't get sticky. That doesn't mean it doesn't get tiresome and Messy and ugly sometimes, but but remember what he's done for me? Remember how he's loved me? That's the love of God. And I, I want to ask you, do you love God with your heart, soul, and mind? That's the great commandment. And, and the only way to get there is by receiving his love for you. Like he, it starts with him. It starts with you embracing the love of God for you. That's the only way you get there. I, w- I want you to have that today. Man, I want you to have it. I want you to rejoice in the gospel. Man, I want you to be happy in Jesus because there's so much to be happy about. Father in heaven, I pray for us. God, I pray that you would make us happy in Christ, that you would overwhelm us with the greatness of your forgiveness and of your adoption and of your justification and of your 
righteousness in our account and of the new heavens and the new earth and, and fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore and being joined to Jesus, being an heir of righteousness. God, I pray that you make all those things just so real to us. God, that we would continue to know. God, I pray that we'd know the, the height and the depth and the breadth and the length of the love of God. And God, I pray that we'd have so much delight in you, God, that we'd be able to, to meet the needs of messy folks, hard folks, enemies even. God, that you'd help us to love our enemy because of how you've loved us. Father, give us that today. Put that in us today. Pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand, please? We're going to sing together.